Okay, here we go. The Kiba Yehudim Tafshin Lamedches. The Mimer begins with the words Kiba Yehudim Eis Asher Hechelu Lasos. It says in the Megillah Vestir that the Jewish people accepted upon themselves what they began to do. What does that mean? So the Rebbe quotes from his father-in-law, the Rebbe Rayat, the previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yisab Yitzchok. What is the meaning that the Jewish people accepted upon themselves what they began to do? They began to do this at Matan Torah, at the giving of the Torah and Sinai. And now in exile, they accepted upon themselves what they began to do. In other words, then it was done in a way of coercion because they were overwhelmed that the mountain was upon their heads. But now in Golos, at the time of exile, we, the Jewish people, accepted internally the foul of the Torah. As we find pertain to another verse in the Megillah that the Gemara translates the meaning of they fulfilled and they accepted upon themselves the Jews. What does that mean? Now, in the time of Achashverosh, they <coughs> Fulfilled what they accepted upon themselves earlier, Mantera. As the Gemara tells us, that for a thousand years, the Jewish people had an excuse not to keep the Torah. For a thousand years, they could have said to God, Look, you forced us to keep the Torah at Sinai, and we were under duress. However, when it came to the Holy of Purim, at that time, when Hama wanted to kill every Jew, men, women, and children, all in one day, at that time, they had the opportunity to save their lives by saying, we don't want to be Jewish. We'll bow down to him. We don't accept upon ourselves the Torah. They'd have, they would have survived. Yet, not one Jew gave into it. So therefore, that was the first time they accepted upon themselves the entire Torah with their own free will. And the same is the meaning the Kiba Yehudim and Jews accept upon themselves now in Golos what they began years earlier at, at the giving of the Torah. Says the Rebbe, the Kaimu Ata, the Merchashveri, Masha Kibu Kvar, the Nama Antera. A Daik, the Zabba Maimri, the Hudo, Dover Nifla. The Rebbe underscores the terminology of the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, who says that this idea that now in exile, the Jewish people accepted upon themselves the traitor willingly, and it was greater than the acceptance or the fulfillment at the giving of the Torah. This is Daven Nifla, the wondrous thing. And the Rebbe says this terminology is wondrous, is wondrous. Because normally in the Hasidic discourses, 
it would begin with the introduction of Tzarech Lahavi, we need to understand, the terminology we need to understand. Over here, the, the Rebbe Rayach writes, the terminology, this is a wondrous question. In general, we say close and far are still comparable one to the other. Abel Nifla, but the terminology, something is wondrous. When we say something is wondrous, it means it's separated. It's totally distant. There's no association between the two locations. And that's why it's called Pella, wondrous. It's totally unlimited. It is totally not comparable one to the other. It's a different league, a different reality, a different world. It's pertaining to the 10 spheros, the 10 attributes. In other words, when we talk about the level of Pella wonder, when we talk about the attributes, where is Pella on this rung? It is the level of Keser, the level of crown, which is above the 10 emotive traits, above the 10 attributes. And not only is Pella wonder, the level of crown, God's crown, but it's also the level of Pinimius Keser, which is the internal part of the crown, and the crown of the 10 attributes are totally above and beyond the 10 attributes. It's not like there's 10 and 11. The 11th is associated with the 10. No, there are 10 attributes. And then there's the crown, which is in a league of its own. It's It's totally not comparable to the other. Therefore, we understand pertaining to this question. How is it possible that now, at a time of exile, the Jewish people should be on a higher level than they were when the Torah was given at Sinai? When the Torah was given at Sinai in the year 2448 on the Jewish calendar, the Jewish people were on the highest level and the most elevated level, and the most praiseworthy level. Why? Why were they so high? They were so high on, on God, and they were so high on religion, because already this happened after the spring of the Red Sea, and after going out of Egypt. These two major occurrences, these two major historic events, transformed the Jewish people and established them on a very high pinnacle. Why? When the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, at that time was Nigla, Melech, At that time, God, the King of all kings, came down in his glory, essentially, and he redeemed them. Number one, this was a time that we never saw such a revelation like now. When, when it came to the, the slaying of the firstborn Egyptian children and protecting the firstborns of the Jewish children, God came down on his own like a king. King of all kings in his true glory, walking through the streets of Egypt. 
Bishaz, Kriyas Mitzrayim, Kriyas Yamsov, and the time of the splitting the Red Sea, Shua Siyim, Rochashim, Kriyas Mitzrayim, which completed the redemption. It says there that when God split the Red Sea, not only did he split the Red Sea, but he split all the other worlds all the way until the heavenly throne. And it says over there, it says over there that a shifcha made servant at the splitting of the Red Sea saw higher and more than the average prophet saw in history. So this average maidservant saw more than the prophets. That was the revelation that took place at the splitting of the Red Sea. And then you have the third level of revelation. You had first Mitzrayim, going out of Egypt, God himself came down. Then you see the splitting of the Red Sea, all the heavens split. You saw all the heavenly abode and angels and God's throne. And now you have Matan Torah, beginning of the Torah on Sinai, the ultimate level. We know that the beginning of the Torah was only once. We only have the Old Testament, only one Torah. As we know, the Torah will never be given a second time. There's only one testament. And furthermore, the Altareb explains in the Holy Tanya that the giving of the Torah at Sinai was a taste of how the world will feel and be in the world to come when Mashiach comes. In other words, that just like at Sinai, they saw God with their own very eyes and spirituality became essential, became the core and the most important thing and materialism became secondary. And they saw God like one sees their neighbor there was the vision and the revelation of God with the physical vision of one's eyes. Because of this, you can well imagine that after these three major events, going out of Egypt, splitting of the Red Sea, standing together at Sinai, which was the highest, the Jewish people were totally transformed. They were, they were sold on God. They, they believed in God. They saw God. They understood God. They wanted God. And contrary to the time of Golos of exile now, and especially when the Jews went through very challenging times like Purim, the decree of Achashverish and Germany and Russia and communism and Nazism, etc., etc. The Jewish people at that time of exile are usually on the lowest of low. They're in a state of pain. They're in a state of, of, of questioning God. They're in a state of turmoil and confusion and anxiety and doubt. And to zoom in on the period of Haman, which is the entire mimers based on the story of Haman. I wanted to wipe out the Jewish people. And at that time, it says, we keep the Jewish people accepted upon themselves the whole Torah. On one hand, the Shabikis, Kasha Shalom Hobman, on one hand, wanted to destroy and annihilate the Jewish people. To exterminate them, to kill them, to eradicate them, annihilate them. God forbid. It's called the Yehudim. 
women and children. All in one day, this was a very serious decree. Why? Because we know historically, even though sometimes there's a decree upon the Jewish people in a certain country, so you can escape to another country, right? The classic example, 1492, when they wanted the Jewish people to convert to Judaism, to Christianity, God forbid. So the Jews had the opportunity to leave Spain. But here, where are you going to run? Because Achashverosh, at the time of Purim, was a king over the whole world. There's nowhere to run. And here, Haman decreed to annihilate every single man, woman, and child in one day. Achashverosh was in charge of the entire world. Therefore, there's no place to run. Because on that one day, every Jew, God forbid, would be if Haman had it his way annihilated. So this is truly, this is truly a golos, this is truly a terrible decree and a terrible exile. And yet, the Jewish people are now on the, on the most lowest of all low, and yet we say we are higher than Sinai. The previous Rebbe explains in this Maimur of 1929, which this Maimur is based off and upon, what was the major Gezeda, what was the major decree at the time of Purim? The decree was upon the Chinuch. It was upon the education of children. As it says in the Medjish, and Haman said, My first to smite will be the children. I want to wipe out the children. To carry out his decree, Haman planned that the first and foremost is to annihilate, God forbid, the children. In other words, this decree was on Jewish education, to educate children in the ways of God. And the Rebbe goes on to say, and the truth, this idea of Purim, which is a time that we have to strengthen Jewish education, and not only for Jews, but also for non-Jews, that the children should be raised with the knowledge of God, that God is an eye that sees and an ear that he hears, and to inspire children to love God and to follow the ways of God. This is the idea of called the kosher education, says the Rebbe, not only for children, but rather they are adults who are also like children. The knowledge of God, the knowledge of Bible, the knowledge of Torah, and their actual observance of mitzvahs is like a child. They too need to be educated on Purim. This is really what Purim is all about. But in truth, this idea of Tinuk also applies to a child who is a child in his religion, in his Judaism. 
גם שהוא איש גדול, even though on one hand a person is grown in years, בשנים ובלושן קווי כשמלכם יאמר, אלא צ'ין וייסהור, to a degree, as the Rebbe quotes the Fidik Rebbe, it could be that this individual has white hair. It doesn't matter that you're, you're actually dying your hair black. But underneath that black hair is white hair. So you're going to be an adult. Yet when you come to your observance, if you take an accounting, what did I do today? You're basically less than a child. You're an infant. Because we know that the education of children is the foundation of a viable nation. And the, the education of children is the success of Am Yisrael, the Jewish people. We understand to what degree one needs to go on self-sacrifice to make sure that children are learning in the ways of God and going to yeshiva. And studying Torah and mitzvahs and performing God's laws. One has to be willing to give up their life. So then, as to quote, <clears throat> do not touch my anointed ones. The anointed ones, implying children, are called Meshichoi. My anointed ones, because the mother puts oil on the child to make sure the child has nice, soft, delicious skin. And furthermore, on a more spiritual level, children are Mashiachoi because they have a greater belief in Mashiach, that Mashiach can come at any moment. It's the adults that have minds that are unfortunately confused. And therefore, Elu Tanikoi shall be Therefore, these children, well, the children of the, the, the school, it is a Shabbos. As the mother says in Shabbos, that the meaning of not do not touch my anointed ones, allude to the children who are studying in, in the yeshivas. This means to bring children into the fold, into the proper educational institutions. And in the institution, in the yeshiva, in the school, that you teach about God, that you teach about ethics, you teach about values, and respecting your elders and respecting your parents in these schools, it's not enough that they have a little bit of education, but it has to be based rabbon. As the Gemara says, it's the house of their teachers. A house implies something which is kvach, something which is permanent, in contrast to something which is like, you know, once a week, Sunday morning for an hour. In other words, that the children we see from the teachers, the foundation, the gantishtel, for the rest of their life, by going even for an hour a week to release time program. A teacher has the ability to instill in a child such an amazing foundation that for the rest of his life, this will carry him through his life. But primarily and preferably, one should send their child to yeshiva. Acha calls that, and the same is true with an adult. If we are children, we need to go to yeshiva too. If we're an adult who is a child, we got to go to yeshiva too. 
You say that in Matan Torah, when God gave the Torah on Sinai, it was only the beginning of their Jewish journey, of their journey to God, the spirituality. However, Indian shells called the word, but the fulfillment of the Torah that took place at Matan Torah. When did he actually fulfill it and internalize it and mature? This was done through the time of exile. Again, how could this be? It's a dove and nifla. It's a wondrous question. Flap is man, especially at the time of Hamin. The Jewish people on the lowest level, the Golos, the Gashmiruchis at that time. The Jewish people had, had fallen, not only physically, materially, but spiritually. They were far and distant from God. How can we say at this time they continued and internalized what took place at Sinai when they were much more distant from Sinai? Again, this is something which is nifla, it's wondrous. You don't understand this. What is the answer? The answer is as follows chapter number two, Juven <coughs> Zeh. This idea can be understood as follows, based on the teaching in the verse of the Torah, that it says, Moses commands the Jewish people to go and crush olives and then bring him the oil for the menorah. does not say to bring oil for light, but rather, Moses instructs them to bring the oil for the source of light. What does that mean? Bring me oil for the source of light. And he goes on to explain that the more represents the source of light itself. So says the Rebbe in the Maimon. And Moses is telling the Jewish people, when a person in his life or her life is in a state of being crushed, they are smashed. They are downtrodden. They are in a state of depression. God forbid. You should know at that moment you could reach the highest levels of light. Not only light itself, but more the source of all light. And what does it mean to be crushed? Really, a person, as we'll soon see, needs to put themselves into that place. You have to crush yourself. What does that mean? Even if you're in a state of tremendous wealth, they have the ability to buy any car you want and any house you want. And you're living in a beautiful community and a beautiful backyard of, of 10, 20 acres and beautiful trees and beautiful fruit trees, etc., etc. You have everything you want. You can buy all the jewelry and all the food you want. Yet, a person feels he is he feels he is missing something spiritually. They are missing their connection to God by in their service. We say to Mizu, more than that. A person can argue, what do you mean? 
I have everything I need physically and spiritually. I dive in three times a day. I study Torah every day. I learn Gemara every day. I learn Am every day. I have a share with Rabbi Raskin every day. What do you mean? I'm, I'm perfect. There's nothing more for more to me to do. A person says, I am I have everything I need. Materially, I have everything physically, I have everything spiritually. And more than that, when they serve Hashem, they pray, they feel the connection. They study Torah, they love to learn Torah. What's the problem? We're lacking nothing. What do you want from me, God? However, when a person begins to meditate, a person begins to contemplate in truth, who are you? Who am I? We are all righteous. We are all part of God's nation. And therefore, we are all tzaddikim. We are totally holy. And every single person of Israel is part of the branches of God's plantings. God said, you are the workings of my hand in which I take tremendous this prayer. I take tremendous pride and joy in. What? God says about me? I am the branches of his planting. God says about me, he takes pleasure in me. It's not true. How is that possible? How is it possible that God could truly be happy with me when I know I have so much more to do? We are truly the branches and we are truly the handiwork of Almighty God in which he takes pride. His boy name, the Lassoi, we begin to meditate not on ourselves, but we begin to meditate on God's infinity, who God really is. And we say to ourselves, can we match up to his expectations? Can we truly do what God wants? We are parents, we know what we want from our children, and our children are never good enough. And yet, you think God thinks we are good enough? <coughs> In a bocha yivke this causes the person to cry and to bawl with a bitter, bitter soul. In truth, what is all of my mitzvahs? What is my Torah knowledge? What is my good deeds compared to God's infinity, to God who is infinite in kindness and knowledge? Even though I'm doing the best I can, I'm doing everything wholeheartedly. But the truth is, however, compared to God's true level, or rather the person's true level, in other words, your potential. Are you fulfilling your potential? You're doing a good job, but can you do more? If you can do more, it's not good enough. In other words, in order for you to truly be God's plantings, branches of his plantings, and to truly be the handiwork in which God takes pride, the goloi, why? Because it has to be. If you're doing the right thing, when you walk down the street, a person should be able to look at you and say, wow, this is God's child. This is an impression of God. This is a person who's connected to God. When I look at that person, I see God. 
because he's a branch of God. He's handiwork of God. I want to see God in the person. When you look at the person, do you see God? Or do you see a human being, a flesh and blood? If we're doing our Aveda properly, we're doing our service Hashem properly, and you look at another person, you should not see the human, you should see the God in that person. And King Gamshlem is That's the case. We understand, even though we're doing our service to Hashem <coughs> in a complete manner, it's truly not enough. As we know, the expression the Gemara have a person standing before a king, and he blinks his eye to somebody else. That person is liable to his life. In other words, you're standing right in front of the king. And all you did was you blinked. You did nothing wrong. You didn't eat not kosher. You didn't shoot anybody. You didn't kill anybody. You didn't steal money. You blinked for one second. That one second cost you your life. Because why? Because in truth, because in truth, you should be so dedicated to God that nothing else in the world exists. Allah has come to come, and surely, and surely, when you're not doing the right things, like you should be, a person is not fulfilling his capacity based on the on the talents and the gifts that God gives you. Then surely, it's a problem. And therefore, when a person meditates on how low he has fallen, starting with the soul coming down to this world and starting in his daily life, that you have fallen in your commitment and connection to God, this brings out a person's tears. And therefore, the objective is this will bring you to have true tshuva. So God forbid to think for a moment you have to stay. In that state of melancholy, no, 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 it's prohibited. You only bring yourself to that state to cause a reaction that you should have a tremendous catapult to be able to jump and have a quantum leap into a level of tshuva, into a level of tremendous return to Hashem. <laughs> Therefore, what is the objective over here? The idea of crushing these olives, which alludes to the person crushing his spirit and his ego, even if a person, God willing, should have tremendous amount of, of wealth materially. And a person should have a tremendous amount of wealth, spiritual. Yet, we should never, never be complacent on that level. But every day, we need to go through these exercises. We need to go through these emotions and go through these steps to reach a whole new level of returning to God. How? Through the fact that every day we crush ourselves. And we realize, compared to God's infinity, we are truly not anywhere close to what we have to do. That brings you to the level of more. This brings you not only to the level of new light, but it brings you to the source of all light. Gimel.
We'll do one more paragraph. This service of Hashem leaves a bit of a tachlis to be totally nullified by the fact that we crush ourselves. This has to also accomplish our actions. Our actions have to be different. Not only, okay, I feel terrible, I cry, now I'm ready to do tshuva, okay, I can do what I want. No, it has to impact the, the action. It has to make a reaction. This is as the Alter explains in the book of Torah. Says the Alter that that year of Purim, the entire Jewish nation stood in a state of self sacrifice. And they were, they were willing to die for God. As we said earlier, that one person gave in to Haman, that one person bowed down to Haman, even though they would have been spared and saved. Rather, every person at that time was totally dedicated to Torah, to mitzvahs, and to God. And that was the real self-sacrifice. And that's really the, the answer to the question over here, why the Jews were on a higher level than Matan Torah, than the giving of the Torah, is because at Purim, they were in a state of mind that they were willing to die for God. And it wasn't only a one-minute feeling. It was the entire year, the entire year, since the decree came out, they were willing to die for Hashem, willing to die for God until after the war on the 13th of Adar, when they fought against the enemies, and the decree was no more. So this state of one year of self-sacrifice, this put them on a higher pedestal than the giving of the Torah on Sinai when God gave them the Torah and everything was amazing. Let's see it inside. Now, Peter's bizarre. What does it mean that they were standing an entire year willing to give up their life for God? The word shana, year, also etymologically means shinui, which means change. In other words, it wasn't the fact that they were, they were 12 months standing in a state of commitment to God, but rather 12 months alludes to four seasons, hot, cold, blue hot, blue cold. In other words, every season has its challenges and every day has their challenges. So shana means changes and challenges. They stood through every different type of challenge. There are people who like hot water, but they can't stand cold water. There are people who could take cold water, but they can't stand hot weather. Here we're talking about every different type of challenge. Yet they were able to hold strong and maintain their identity, maintain their integrity, maintain their commitment to God. That is the meaning of shinoi. It means change. And this is something which is known, well known, pertaining to the etrog, the etrog that we use on the holiday of Sukkot and Sukkot. What is unique about the etrog? <clears throat> Why is it called the pre eight hodor, the beautiful fruit? What's so beautiful about it? One can argue the etrog is a lemon, a nice lemon, a citron. But what's so beautiful about an etrog? It's the Milus Esri should dar be lonay mishal What is unique about the Esri is that it goes through all 
four different seasons. It dwells on the tree from year to year. Shasevel al kol is able to withstand the changes of year and environment of all the four different seasons of the year. The A name is Paul Mizalis. Not only does it not hurt the Yesri, not only does it not diminish the Yesri, the Enim is Pom is a cloud, the Darbiloni, and it maintains its integrity to the tree. It stays strong, steadfast to the tree, which is Shachayosai Umakum Dirasai, who be Lonai, it's connected to its source on the tree. It doesn't fall down because of the winds or because of the heat. Says the Rebbe, not only is the Eshri not intimidated by these four different changes of climate, but it actually grows from it. It thrives from it. That gives it its beauty. It gives the Eshri its texture. It gives the Eshri its thick skin. It gives it a beautiful design. Why? Because it goes through these changes in life. When we have challenges, the challenges are supposed to make us more beautiful, are supposed to make us greater and stronger and more powerful. The same is true in, in a human being, a humankind service to God. All the different challenges in his life. Of He continues to serve Hashem completely. Even though every day is a new challenge. One day it's money, one day it's health, one day it's relationships, one day it's it's the weather. Every day is another excuse. And yet the person maintains their connection to Hashem. And never to think of giving up one's religion to God. To another God. However, a person can only reach this level of the Eshri. The level of this beauty is when a person is in a state of total humility, in a state of bitul, <coughs> for God. Just like in truth, there are many types of service to Hashem, many ways to serve Hashem. One way is chesed through kindness. The other way is through gevura, which is passion and judgment. could have a person who's perfect in the attribute of chesed. In other words, when it comes to charity, the person gives charity every hour of the day, you have collectors knocking on his door or her door and they open the door, give every person money. When it comes to this attribute of chesed, of tzedakah, the perfect. However, when it comes to the, the attribute of gevura, of discipline, then they cannot control themselves. In other words, Oh, when it comes to kosher, I can't control myself. I love, I love this piece of chazir. I have to eat it. I can't control myself. Chesed, kindness. Yeah, I'll give tzedakah all day, but I can't, you know, hold myself back from watching TV on Shabbos. Shabbos, but I love TV. 
I can't hold back. I got to write in my, my Netflix. I got to do, do these things. I can't hold back. So when it comes to Chesed, yeah, you it comes to Gvura, you're not so perfect. But an Esrig, a person is like an Esrig, that a person who's perfect, the entire year, implies that they have the ability, the capacity, not only to overcome when it's in Chesed, when it's kind, but also by Gvura. How could you do both? The answer is Bittal. If you're self-nullification, if you're nothing, it's not a problem. You can do both. We find this similarity also by Abraham Avinu. Abraham, our father, by nature, Abraham was a kind person. That was his natural. That was his tendency. That was his entire behavior. He was mamish, a person of total love and kindness and giving. God says, my beloved Avram, <coughs> who I love. Why? Because Avram represented the idea of, of chesed, of kindness. So what happened to Avram Avinu? Avram Avinu was told by God, take your child Isaac and bring him up for a sacrifice on the altar. Avram got up in the morning, early in the morning, and took Yitzchak and brought him onto the altar. Now God told Avram, please fulfill this 10th test. Why? Avram Avinu did nine tests already. He should have told God, look, God, Nine out of 10 is pretty good. It's a pretty good average. It's 90. What do you want from me? I should take my only child and bring him for an offering. I don't want to do that. But God said, no, if you don't do the 10th test, all your previous nine tests are going to be worthless. How could that be? And the answer is, because all the first previous nine tests were associated with Abram's character or attribute of chesed, of kindness. Yes, he had to extend himself. He had to go out of his comfort zone, but yet it was in his realm. It was in his zone. It was in his personality. But to go now and shecht his own son Yitzchak, to slaughter his own son Yitzchak, this came from the attribute of Gevura. It was totally opposite of Avram's nature. And yet, Avram Avinu fulfilled this, this capacity, fulfilled this challenge. After the Akedah, after the binding of Isaac, what does God say? Aha! Now I know that you truly fear God. Till now I know you love God. Till now I know you follow the attribute of, of chesed, of kindness. But, but now, after you put Yitzchak on the altar, now I know that you truly love me because you fear me also. In other words, you're serving me outside of your comfort zone. You're serving me outside of your natural habitat. <coughs> you're serving me outside of your attribute of kindness. Now I know you're doing it for the sake of God. How did Avram do this? Because of the fact that he was bitter. Bitter means self-nullification. He was cussed. He was crushed like an olive. He was nothing. In his own ego, in his own estimation, he was totally nullified before God. He says, I am nothing. God is infinite. I am finite. I have to surrender to God. When a person surrenders to God, then the entire year, you could be in a state of 
Mesiras Nefesh, self-sacrifice to God. This was the power of the Jewish people, Am Yisrael, the time of the miracle of Purim. And that is why God brought about such a tremendous victory and miracle and spared all the Jewish people on this day. And because of this, we celebrate every year the holiday of Purim.